Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in Jaguars show. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by Antoine Staley, an NFL reporter for the New York Daily News. We're breaking down Jacksonville's Week 10 loss to the Niners and Jacksonville's Week 11 matchup with the Titans plus more. So let's get to it. The Jags lost 34-3 to San Francisco on Sunday at the bank, Antoine. What were your main takeaways from this game, first of all, from the Jags side? I mean, Trevor Lawrence got sacked five times. I mean, he was intercepted twice. They really couldn't get the run game going. They really couldn't do much of anything. I mean, I know Christian Kirk had a uh, solid game, but, you know, outside of that, I mean, it was just kind of, you know, one thing after another, basically a snowball effect. And then the Niners took a, you know, 13-3 lead into the half into halftime and then never gave never gave the lead up. And Jacksonville just really couldn't do anything offensively uh, in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's definitely uh, frustrating for the Jazz fans and the players too as well because, you know, the 49ers seemed like they were a team that kind of came back down the earth a little bit. But now, you know, at that win against Jacksonville, they look like the team that everybody thought they would be contending in the AFC once again. And now I think people are also kind of questioning, you know, is Jacksonville ready to contend in the AFC, especially not, not considering they lost, but kind of the way, the manner they lost, especially at home. Jacksonville came in on that five game win streak, six and two starter was their best since 1999. Plus they had a bye week to get ready for this big time tilt. That was really, you know, the game of the week, at least in that 1 PM Eastern time window. Do you think this took a lot of momentum out of their season? Uh, I, I don't know if it took a lot of it, but I, I think it definitely was a, a definitely a blip on the radar. I mean, especially considering you know you, you want to you have these measuring stick games against certain opponents, and then I feel like the 49ers were that team, especially considering I think a lot of people thought think they could go to the Super Bowl or possibly win the Super Bowl. And Jacksonville, I think people are still trying to figure out their place in the AFC. Sure, you obviously you got Kansas City. I think the team that you know everybody's trying to search and try to you know, get on that same level, Baltimore, you know, I think people are trying to f- figure out if the Ravens are on that same level too. And I think I also saw some people, you know, put Jacksonville in that category, but I think now, you know, you're a little bit hesitant to kind of put the Jaguars there. They still obviously have some work to do if they're going to contend with the Chiefs, at least in the AFC. They might be, you know, a tier below that, but, you know, at least until proven otherwise, then the Chiefs are still the top dog in the AFC. The one thing the Jags did do was hold – CMC Christian McCaffrey out of the end zone. He had that NFL record tying streak going, was trying to break it against Jacksonville. <laughs> Do you think that the Jags can walk away with some kind of a minor victory knowing they held CMC out of the end zone? Probably not because I mean, he did get nearly 150 yards uh, all purpose, too. So it's kind of like, yeah, he didn't get in the end zone. I guess, you know. I guess if it was a closer game or something like that, maybe. But you know, he he still pretty much had had his way. He had a big game against them. We whether it be rushing the football, nearly had a hundred yards, and you know, we know what kind of playmaker he is as, as a wide receiver coming out the backfield too, as well. So, you know, maybe you know, it's a moral victory a little bit, but you know, McCaffrey still had a pretty good game against the Jaguars too on Sunday. The Jags defense had played so well, really, the entire season coming into this game. I mean, maybe the game at home against the Texans was their only slip up. They had some busted coverages in that game, but they had really kept the team in a bunch of football games. And I think was the driving factor behind this team winning. Was it surprising to see 
the defense have this performance, giving up a bunch of yardage through the air on the ground. You mentioned CMC's day. Or was this a factor of the offense not being able to allow them to rest and coming up with any drives of their own? I think it's a little bit of a combination of both, too. I think, you know, you alluded to it as well. I mean, I think it was it was still in striking distance at halftime. I mean, they still had an opportunity. Uh, whether or not, you know, people thought they were going to win, you know, that's another story. But, you know, it was only a 10-point deficit at halftime. So, I mean, teams have come down from a lot worse than that. But, yeah, as, as you pointed out, I mean, if your offense can't stay on the field, eventually – you know, the dam is going to break. The defense is going to eventually get tired and wore, wore down. And I think we kind of saw that in a little bit in the second half where, you know, you can't you can't sustain drives offensively. You keep putting these guys back at their, you know, defensively, you know, consistently on the field, especially against a good team like San Francisco. I mean, you're going to have some problems too. And the 49ers definitely took advantage of that. And I feel like they kind of wore down that Jazz defense there because you remember the last time, you know, Jacksonville was on the field against Pittsburgh. I thought they had their defense played really, really well. Although I know the 49ers, I mean, I know the 49ers offense is much different than Pittsburgh's, but still, you know, the Steelers still have some playmakers there too as well. There's been a lot of talk about Trevor Lawrence this season and specifically his lack of touchdown passes and being able to get his team to convert in the red zone. Did you feel like that held them back in this game and from sort of an outsider perspective, how can Lawrence get this corrected and be more productive and actually throw some more touchdown strikes that everybody wants to see? Well, I mean, it's, I think it starts with protection. I mean, anytime you get, you know, pressured as much as he did against the 49ers, and granted, the 49ers have a, you know, monstrous, you know, front four and defense in general, one of the best in football. So if you can't, you know, you can't protect your top quarterback, then it's going to be hard to not only, you know, convert third downs and get red zone touchdowns and, or put any points on the board. I felt like he was just under the rest of, a lot on Sunday. And I definitely think, you know, you look at his stats this year, I mean, they, they are taking a bit of a step back too. I think some of that is, you know, the Jaguars don't have a, you know, I know the Calvin Ridley's had some games too as well. I mean, obviously, you know, you look at some of the other players that they have on that team, you know, well, say Joe's and things of that nature too. But the fact of the matter is like, I just don't feel like consistently they've played uh, up to standard. And it's, I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence is also a part of that too, as well. You know, Chris, Kristen Kirk had a big game on Sunday too, as well. Um, but, you know, outside of that, you know, I don't think it was a whole lot, uh, you know, going for them offensively. And I think also, too, you know, you look at the running game, too. Uh, ETN has, has his moments, too, as well. I think if you have a guy like him, he can also take some pressure, you know, off the offense, too, as well. You mentioned the pressure. Nick Bosa had a sack and a half. Javon Hargrave had a sack and a half as well. Cleveland Farrell had a sack. Chase Young even got in there with half a sack. Young, in particular, was a guy that was on the trade market, and there was a lot of talk about the Jags potentially adding a pass rusher, at least looking into it before the NFL trade deadline. Do you think that they should have been more aggressive in going out and getting a guy like Young? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly couldn't help, you know, especially defensively. I mean, the 49ers got – they already they didn't need Young. I mean, this is more like a, you know, a cherry on top of what their defense is already is. But, you know, now, you you know, if you're the Jaguars, you get a guy that's – obviously has a lot of talent, just wasn't able to fulfill it in Washington for a number of different ridges. I think injuries, you know, also have a big concern with that too as well. But yeah, I mean, 
you know, I definitely think he would have helped, you know, what they were able to do uh, as far as the pass rush and the defense. And now, you know, I think they kind of got a glimpse of what he can do. And I think I think Chase Young is still going to be a tremendous player. I just think it was just kind of a bad situation there, not ideal with Washington. And, you know, now it goes to a situation in San Francisco where, you know, he doesn't have to be the guy. He can just be a complimentary guy. He, he might be a guy that gets you eight or nine sets a year, especially considering all the talent on, that the 49ers have present on the defensive line. That pass rush wreaked havoc, as you've alluded to a couple of times, on the Jags' passing game. And you kind of touched on it. Calvin Ridley was brought in, the big trade. Everybody was excited. The Jags thought they were getting a legit number one receiver. But in this game in particular, two catches, 20 yards on three targets. He hasn't really been that consistent number one guy that a lot of people thought he would be. Do you think people rush to that too quickly and he needs more time to develop a rapport with Lawrence? Or why do you think that Ridley's performance and production has been lacking? Well, I think also, you know, missing football for a year, I actually do that too. I mean, you know, it's you can practice and run sprints and do all this uh, stuff to try to stay in shape. But one, you're not you're not acclimate. You're not out there playing games. So, I mean, I think trying to come back, you know, from a year, I mean, you're going to have these ups and downs too as well. Everybody knows how talented Cattle really is. I think we saw, we've seen that throughout the course of the season, but, you know, I think, you know, him not playing last year really, you know, affected them because, you know, you look at what he was with the Falcons and the time he was in there, he looked like, like you said, a potential number one guy, at least, you know, a number two guy well, as far as a threat. But, you know, this year's just kind of been, you know, up and down to a bit of a roller coaster as well. And I think, you know, in the offseason, I think they're going to have to address that too and go get, you know, Trevor Lawrence, a bona fide, try to get a bona fide number one wide receiver. Otherwise, I think, you know, you're going to have games like this where, you know, you may have a guy like Calvin really stand up one game and then the next game and, you know, you may not see him. He may disappear a little bit too, but, you know, I know Christian Kirk ended up having a really, you know, solid game too as well, but you know, you're going to need some playmakers, you know, you have a top flight quarterback, you know, I don't know too many guys, you know, maybe outside of passion with Holmes who don't have a top flight, you know, receiver and still are successful on a consistent basis. You mentioned Christian Kirk there. He's been very consistent for this team throughout the regular season so far. Had six catches for 104 yards on 11 targets. And Antoine, I really feel like the guy that's missing from this offense that would help them out a ton is Zay Jones. He's been dealing with this knee injury. Do you feel the same way? And what element does he bring to the Jags? Yeah, I mean, he's somebody that can get uh, some speed too as well. Help, you know, somebody that can help, help take the top off of defenses too as well. And I think, you know, I don't think he's – a lot of people talk about him as much as in the office as they should. I mean, I think he's a key component to it, to not only Trevor's success, but also the other wide receivers too. We talked about Kurt, obviously talked about Ridley too as well. Uh, but yeah, I think having him in there, just gives a defense another element, somebody else to watch out for too as well. But without him, I think, you know, I don't think the office is nearly as strong and as potent. Uh, and you have to put in more emphasis, more, you know, you know, put more pressure on Trevor Lawrence and also Travis Etienne, who we know who could also catch the ball out the backfield and be a weapon. But still, uh, those guys, you know, they, they have they put they get a lot of pressure put on them, uh, considering the fact that you don't have a guy like Zay Jones who could also, you know, make some plays to defense all on offense. Standout linebacker Foye Aluakun had another stat stuffing day. Jags fans are used to this: nine total tackles, six solo, three tackles for loss, two sacks in the game do you believe this guy is underrated around the league 
Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people uh, know much about him, you know, to be quite honest with you. But, yeah, I mean, I think he's having a tremendous season. I mean, I think, you know, I want to say, you know, he's getting up what's up there as far as uh, tackles, too, and one of the, you know, best tackle guys in the league, at least in the AFC. But, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, nationally he gets the attention, probably because he plays in Jacksonville. I don't think a lot of people, you know, Typically, you know, your casual fans uh, tune in to Jaguars games, even though I think the Jaguars are one of the best teams in the AFC. You know, you think about Trevor Lawrence and ETN and, you know, Doug Peterson, too, as well, the head coach. But, yeah, I don't think a lot of people would know just off the top of their head the type of year that he's had, you know, this upcoming year. But, yeah, he's, he's definitely uh, – I think a lot of coaches and players understand the type of year he has had, you know, defensively for that Jaguars defense, especially considering, as we touched on, like this game outside of this game, I think the Jaguars defense has been, you know, pretty well, playing pretty well this year. Still lots to be a, upbeat about if you're a fan of the Jags in, in Duval County. And we'll move from the loss as the Jags dropped to 6-3 and three on the season to Week 11. Jacksonville hosts their AFC South division rival Tennessee on Sunday at 1 p.m. at the bank. It's first of two meetings this season. The other comes in the final week of the regular schedule in January. The Titans are coming off a 20 to 6 loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What do you expect in terms of a potential bounce back from the Jags? Well, I mean, I think they're, you know, as far as getting pressure, I mean, obviously we talked about, you know, the quarterback, you talk about the quarterback situation with Jaguars, but, you know, obviously, you know, Titans going to Will Levis and, you know, you got a young guy in there who I really do like. I think Will Levis is going to be really, really good. They just have to get some more, you know, parts around him and players, but, you know, he is a young quarterback. So the best way you uh, get, you know, force a young quarterback to make the sit bad decisions is to get pressure on them. And I think, you know, that's what it's going to come down to if you're Jacksonville, trying to get some, create some pressure, you know, create some uh, disguises in the coverage too as well, forcing them to make some bad throws as well. I think Pittsburgh did that a little bit um, in their game on Thursday night a few weeks ago. I expect Jacksonville to try to do something similar, just get out there Levis, uh, who, I, like I said, I do really like him, but, you know, he's still young in his career where you know, I think defenses are going to, you know, try to disguise them, some coverages and, you know, force them to make some mental mistakes there out there on the field. But, yeah, I think, you know, defensively, I think that's the key. And also, you know, getting back to running the football. I think getting back to uh, taking some pressure on Trevor Lawrence there, getting ETN involved as well, uh, and just being a physical football team. I think, you know, they're able to do those two things. I, I don't see any reason why they come away with this without a victory against Tennessee. I agree with you. I think Will Levis looks to be a very intriguing quarterback. I've talked to some people around him and close to him that have worked with him for quite a while. They're really fans of the way that he's changed his mechanics and his overall mentality and approach. So I feel like if he gets more experience in this league, and as you said, maybe get some more proven playmakers around him outside of DeAndre yeah, Hopkins, of course, who's yeah. kind of at the end of his road, and he could be pretty good. But out of those playmakers for Tennessee, who do you feel is most dangerous? Do you need to load the box and stop the run with Derrick Henry? Do you need to bracket, double cover, go and jam up New Hopkins? Like, what do you see as the number one thing that this defense has to take away from the Jaguars' perspective against Tennessee? Yeah, I think it's definitely a running game. I mean, anytime you – Derrick Henry is still one of the most potent weapons in football. And then now you got to add him with Tajay Spears, too, who uh, they got out of Tulane, who, you know, I don't think they use him enough, but I think he's dynamic as well. I think he's going to be a starting running back at some point, too. They're going to have an interesting decision to make, 
you know, at the end of the season, because I, I really do like Spears. And, you know, obviously Derrick Henry is still productive, but, you know, he is getting up there in age uh, as far as terms of running backs. But, you know, I think stopping the run, first and foremost, I mean, we talked about how young Will Levis is and, you know, what he could potentially be. But, you know, quarterback's best friend, especially a young quarterback, is to be able to ability to run the football, especially when you're lacking weapons on the outside like Tennessee is outside of, you know, we talked about DeAndre Hopkins. So if you could stop the run, I think we kind of you kind of saw that last week, you know, with Tennessee playing against Tampa Bay. You know, I think they had – about less than 50 yards rushing last week, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, if you're able to do that, then I think you got to put more pressure on Levis and force him to throw the football that, you know, bad things could potentially happen, especially when you have a rookie back there. So, yeah, you got to be able to start the run because otherwise then those guys, especially, you know, Henry, they're going to run raw all over you all day long. You mentioned the run game, and I immediately think of Trayvon Walker, who's had a lot of talk about him going number one overall and did the Jaguars make the wrong decision and not take Aiden Hutchinson with Hutchinson's sack numbers early on in his career. But Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin praised Walker before the game in Pittsburgh, felt like he's a guy that wreaks havoc and maybe it just doesn't get as much hype because he does so much of it in the run game and doesn't register those sexy sack numbers. I'm curious, how do you view Walker so far in his career? I mean, look, I think, is he Aiden Hutchinson? No, but I think he's a solid player, too. I mean, I think we put too much emphasis on sacks. I think there's a situation, like, I think we just look at the sack and just think, it's, you know, it's the sexy number that, you know, everybody, if you're not getting 10 sacks a year, then you're not doing your job. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, a lot, a lot of defensive, guys, like, edge rushers and also defensive linemen, there are other ways of doing your job or stopping the run or, you know, forcing, you know, bad decisions, too. They don't necessarily, you know, get, you know, come up on the stat sheet. I think he does, does those dirty play plays, too. Again, like, I, I'm not saying he's, you know, Aiden Hutchinson. Obviously, I think Hutchinson has had a, you know, much better career so far but it's not like walker is out there not doing anything i think he's being productive i think he's you know being a playmaker just from what i've seen and you know also helping the defense too as well but i just think we put too much emphasis on sacks and just the total number of it uh because that's just the you know what what i think fans happen to see and that's that's how they think they can judge a uh, edge rusher you know in terms of their productivity but that's not necessarily the case too i think there's a lot of other ways to do that on the other side of the ball, for Jacksonville to be able to drive the ball, we talked about it off the top against the Niners. They had trouble protecting Trevor Lawrence consistently. You look at the Titans, Denico Autry, six sacks. Harold Landry, the third, he's got five. Jeffrey Simmons, four and a half. That dude's an absolute low to the middle. Arden Key, two and a half as a linebacker. What does Jacksonville need to do up front, across the board, to keep Lawrence much cleaner and give him just a little bit more time because part of the reason I believe his sack numbers aren't higher is due to his quick release. Yeah, I think just getting the ball out quickly, that's probably the best bet because, you know, you got the Titans and, you know, they have a, like you talked about, Autry and Landry too and Simmons, like tremendous pass rushers who can get pressure on you at any given time too as well. So, yeah, I think the one of the best, like you said, I think one of the best things for Lawrence is his release and getting the ball out quickly, having a guy like Trevor, uh, Travis Etienne, you know, being able to use him coming out the backfield while catching the football too as well. But, yeah, just kind of running some screens, running some quick plays, because uh, you don't want to hold the ball too long, especially you're playing another great defensive line uh, in the Titans, too, because if you do, then, you know, I think we kind of saw a glimpse of what that looked like a week ago against the 49ers. Not that I'm saying the Titans front four is, 
as good as the 49ers. I don't think it is, but I think it's, it's t- I think it is a talented front for what they have uh, variety is with the weapons that they do. So yeah, you just got to be able to get the ball quickly, just run some plays there that can, you know, get your, give your playmakers, receivers and running backs a chance to, you know, hit a big play uh, early and also late in the game. How critical is it to establish Travis Etienne Jr.? Talked about him having difficulty running against the Niners, nine carries for 35 yards, but you know had that string there where he had three straight games with two rushing touchdowns in those games. And even though his yardage total wasn't high, it felt like you know the carries that he had, 26, 18, and 14 in those games, helped Jacksonville control the clock and – Really, it just seems like this offense is going much more smoothly and productive when ETN Jr. is being used and creates that balance. So how critical do you think he is to this Jaguars and their offensive success? Well, I think obviously we talked about them lack of pass protection at times. So I mean, if you can't, if you have trouble protecting the passer, then I think you think the way to do that is try to get establish some type of a running game, and that's why I think he's important. I think he's a big weapon for him. Obviously, I think he's an all around talent. You know, whether it be running the football or also catching the ball out the backfield. But yeah, you need him in games like this when you're playing these are talented, you know, defensive line like the Tennessee Titans too. And the way to get him involved is you know use some screens too, especially with the pass rush is coming at you like try to disguise some things there get him out open in space there and we know the type of potential he can he has like the home hitter home run hitter speed and obviously uh the big playability so yeah i definitely think whether it be running the football or also you know catching the ball out the backfield he has to be a big part of what they do especially on sunday you know against a you know a good defense like this you keep up with the entire nfl and i'm really interested to hear your perspective on the jaguars from an overall league perspective, do you think that they're still under the radar? Are they getting the right amount of respect nationally? Do they have to go out and earn it? Where do they stand in your mind at the moment? I think people wanted to annoy them a little bit. I think I'd heard people say they might be the best team in the AFC. And I think obviously losing to 49ers kind of, you know, people are kind of, you know, a little bit down on them now. But, you know, I think you look at, you know, they're pecking order in the AFC. I mean, like I said, I talked about the Chiefs there. I think the Ravens are might be the best team in the AFC too, to be honest, which is the way they play defensively. And Lamar Jackson had any, I don't even think it's played up to his potential, you know, this year, which is kind of scary if he gets that, you know, that 2019 Lamar Jackson form once again, you know, I think the Ravens definitely have a shot to not only win, get to the Super Bowl, potentially win it. But yeah, I think the Jaguars are like the third or fourth best team in the AFC. The Dolphins are definitely there. They obviously have some questions too defensively. I think two has played really, really at a high MVP level there. Uh, obviously, I have ties to Miami used to cover the Dolphins, so I understand uh, what, they, what they're what doing and how good they are. But, yeah, I think, definitely think Jacksonville is still in that, you know, top four teams in the AFC there. Uh, and obviously that, you know, winning the division there, you know, have a potential to host a home game. I will say this, the Houston Texans are coming. Like, obviously, you got C.J. Stroud and, you know, what he's doing and, He's obviously an MVP candidate still. I don't think many people thought it'd be this year. Uh, the Texans would be contenders, but they certainly are, and they're going to have uh, they're going to have everything to say about Jacksonville not only winning the division but being the player in the AFC. Great insight from the overall league perspective on the Jaguars, Antoine. Thanks so much for joining us on the Believe in Jaguars show presented by Bet Online. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.